This is Anthony and Areno, and you're listening to In the Arena. Hi, it's Anthony Anarino, and you are with me in the arena. And I have invited my friend Hector Lamarck back to join us for this first podcast of 2017 because I want to get your mindset right about two things. The first thing is success generally. And Hector has studied success as much and as well as anyone I know. And here's the test. He generates results that are unmatched in his space, and that's how you know somebody has really, really got the principles down. The second thing that Hector is that's worth looking at here is he's a leader, and I ask him here to speak about leadership and what separates successful leaders from leaders who are not quite as successful. So welcome back. It's 2017. Happy New Year, and you are with me and my friend Hector Lamarck in the arena. Hey, Hector, how are you? I'm great, Anthony. So good to talk to you. Hope uh, you have an amazing 2017. I plan to make it so. Good. <laughs> Tell me, it's been probably, what, two years maybe since we talked in this format? Yeah, close to that. Yeah. I think so. I think we should do this at least annually. Yeah, I agree. So I'm closing you early here on the call for uh, an annual podcast. Oh, okay. <laughs> and are you saying yes? Yes. <laughs> All right, good. We got to make sure you guys know we, we ask for the close, right? Yeah, absolutely. Every time. <laughs> I listened to some of our last call, and uh, your story is there, and we'll point people to that in the show notes because it's a great story for them to go back and listen to. But I was thinking about this call, and I think just there's two directions that I want to go with this. I want to talk about the giant sales force that you work with because it's such an interesting way to look at general success principles, who succeeds, who struggles, and why, and what's the difference. And then I want to switch gears, and I want to go to leadership, who builds a team and who doesn't, and what are the traits and the activities of these different groups of people that we could point to, to say, these things probably are going to lead you to success if you consistently do them, and these things are going to lead to not being successful if you consistently do those. So let's start with just generally What is it that makes up success? And when you think about mindsets and when you think about the activities for the people that you've grown and that you've seen who really get it and they take off? Well, the one thing that's common with all of them is that they have a really fanatical desire to to grow themselves, to get better, to, you know, master all of the the fundamentals relative to the business. And in my business, there's seven fundamentals that I've identified that I, that I find that if people master them, they, and they work, which in, you know, working is prospecting, then they succeed. They do very, very well. So one is versus prospecting. Two is learning how to set appointments. Three is learning how to present in a professional way that leads to sales and recruits in my business. Uh, learning how to overcome all the most common objections that come up. There's usually five to 10 of them in my business. And then, 
learning how the products work. Because if you don't know how the products work inside and out, you're not able to to sell the benefits, the features and benefits of it, and then learning how to recruit people and then learning how to train and lead them. So those things in my business, that's that's what you know, people that succeed in a on a grand scale, they master those fundamentals first. Let's go to prospecting. Let's go to that first one, because you said something that's interesting here, and it's probably the poll quote from this interview that I would beat people with. You said they need to work, and in our business, working is prospecting. Right. What is it that they do that other people are unwilling to do or just don't do enough of? Well, they just don't do enough prospecting. They don't contact enough people. They don't They don't prospect enough. They're not. They're not constantly looking for new clients and new recruits. If you're going to succeed in our business, you have to, that has to be something you do every single day. You make time for it every day you, and you never let up. I'm sure you're aware of Jeb Blount, right? Yeah. Jeb's a really he, good friend. He wrote, he, yeah. Yeah. Jeb's great. He wrote that book, Fanatical Prospecting. And really that's the reason I, I and everybody that's really successful in my business is they're fanatical prospectors. And they're always looking for for good people. They're just they just never let up on doing that. Most people, because when you're prospecting, as you well know, most people aren't interested. They say no, and so people get dejected by that, and so they avoid it. And the the sad part of it is it's the only thing that can allow them to be successful in sales, marketing, or or, or building a team. So. The ones that win big, they figure out that that's how you do it. And they don't they and they disregard how they feel about doing it and they just do it. Right. And I think that's that's what most salespeople do not do. Tell me they about don't do it enough. When you were selling and you you got a no, what did that no mean to you that allowed you to look at it different than the way people who are struggling with that look at that no? Well, no to me never has meant no. It just means I don't have an information. I don't understand. It doesn't make sense to me yet. I don't see the value in it for me. I don't see what's in it for me. And generally, when I heard no, my first thought is my communication skills need to improve. I need to get better at being able to share with them what 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 the benefit for them meeting with me or what the benefit of them buying from me is. And when people fully understand that, then then they'll they'll go ahead. So I never took it personally. Just you, not it you weren't make rejected. Take it personally. You weren't rejected. No. What's interesting about no. the language you use that I think it's interesting for people to hear how somebody who's had your level of success over a long period of time at the very, very large scale is that you decided that if they didn't understand the value proposition or they didn't understand the value for them, what you said is then it was my fault. It means I did something wrong. I wasn't communicating well enough. I didn't convey the value. So I have to change what I'm doing. It's not that they're stupid or they don't get it or nobody wants to buy this. It's always your fault. Where do you think you got that idea that it was always your fault so that you could look at this and say, I'll just take another run at them and I'll change my approach and I'll get better? Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know if I mentioned this the last time, but what one of the things I'm a fanatical personal developed person and I've probably read well over fifteen hundred different books on personal development from sales to recruiting to selling to time management to people skills and all that sort of thing. So I I realized early on that, you know, the more I worked on myself, the better results I was getting. And so 
when I knew when I wasn't getting great results that I needed to get better. I mean, I'm a golfer and I played all sports in high school and college. And one thing about, you know, I play a lot of golf with professional golfers and friends that are friends when I play on the PGA tour. And what most people don't realize is the kind of commitment and effort and self determination discipline somebody that reaches the apex of their career, you know, they become professional they actually make money at it, what they do, what they go through. Most people have no idea the level of commitment it takes to make that happen. So therefore very few people ever do it. So the very thing that they need in order to become, you know, to, to perform at a world-class level, very few people ever put the effort forward to, to be able to realize that. It's not a I secret either. That's what I did. No, it's, it's not. It's the problem is that we, it, t- it takes super self-discipline and, and very, very few people have it. Very few. I mean, I trained tens of thousands of people over the year. and It's rare. That's why it's the first chapter in my book. I mean, I, I think yep. everything past that, if you miss that part, and I'm always petrified that people are going to go through that part and say, let mm-hmm. me get to the back of the book where there's sales stuff. If you miss the parts that are at the beginning, the self-discipline, then you're not going to do the prospecting. You're not going to do the following up. You're no. not going to hold yourself accountable. And then you're not going to get the results because it all starts with you. What's interesting to me about the golf thing is I'm not a golfer. The last time I played golf, the last hole that I played, I was six inches from a hole in one on a par four, mm-hmm. on a par four hole because I was on the wrong oh. hole. I was one hole over because my ball went straight through the <laughs> woods onto somebody else's green. But they were not nearly as impressed as I was. I thought I should win a car. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> they didn't think that was quite that funny. And then They I weren't thought, very happy. <laughs> no, I had a lot to learn. But the ball goes wherever it goes based on what you did with your swing, right? I mean, it's not the ball. It's not anything else. You're the one that hit the ball. No. And, and that's what we do in prospecting, too. You're the one that's doing it. So if you're not getting the results you want, that's you. And you have to change what right. you're doing to straighten it out. Right. And if you spend right. enough time and take enough reps, like golf, I mean, golf is a, a game mm-hmm. where you have to practice and you have to take a lot of swings before the swing straightens out. It's the same thing with right. prospecting. If you're doing it, you're going to get better because you're going to make adjustments and you're going to get feedback. But if you don't do it, you're never going to get better. It's not something that you can get better at. As much as I love Jeb's book, and I think it's probably one of the most important books written in the last decade for people because it's what they need most of all right now is help prospecting. Sure. And th- mm-hmm. that's it. If if you get good at that, the rest of the game gets easier. Absolutely. Yeah, you're putting in the reps. You get, you know, you it's experience. You can't replace experience. You know, the more the more times you put yourself in front of somebody, the more reps you have. And over time, if you're constantly working at getting better, you're doing the work to improve your communication skills, your your sales skills, your your body language, your reflection, all the different things that go along with that, then you're going to start getting better results. I mean, just will, but it doesn't happen overnight. No. And tell me this, the people who are really good at prospecting, they do the work so that they get better. No question about that. But how much more activity do you think they take generally as a percentage than the people who are not really getting better and sort of dabbling in what they're doing? Well, I mean, they do considerably more, of course, but, and it's not just the prospecting it's working on your skill sets as you're doing i think one right. of the things is it's not enough just to prospect because so you can prospect talk to people and get names and numbers but there's more to it than that you you have to you know your your ability to 
to set an appointment, to get people to, to understand what's in it for them and how they're going to benefit from meeting with you. There's a lot to it. A lot more than just simply the prospecting, but it starts, like you said, with the prospecting. But I think most people's skill sets are are poor to mediocre, and they just don't get that they have to be working on that constantly. You know, I, I mentioned—I think I mentioned it on the last call, but it's worth mentioning because I'm really good friends with Tom Hopkins. I'm sure you're familiar with Tom. Oh yeah, I studied Tom. He had a program called How to Master Your Selling Anything that I listened to at least two hours a day, five days a week for three straight years over and over and over and over and over again until everything became a hundred percent reflexive for me. I never, then I didn't have to think anymore. I just had to do. And I think most people never do that part of it. They think that you and I are lucky and that we just have stanced into it. And it's far from that. It's preparing. I can't tell you how many bad sales calls I made. I'm oh, a, me too. a lot of them. And I got better when you get to look at somebody's face and recognize that everything you're saying is making it less and less likely that that person's going to buy from you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like if I keep yeah. talking, right. nothing good is going to come from this. First yeah. rule of getting out of a right. hole, stop digging. Stop digging, yeah. And learn how to ask questions because questions are the answer. And that's that's true in most cases. Tell me about... What other attributes? So self-discipline is definitely one. And I think that self-discipline and prospecting go together. And I think the people who have discipline prospect and the people that don't, don't prospect. They find something else that they can pretend is work, like email or or something Mm -hmm. that they go, well, yeah, I'm working right now. But they're not really doing the real work. They're doing some of the things that are ancillary around the work. But what else other than the discipline can you define as an attribute that that you look at people who are doing really well, like Mario, right? He's doing all right. Yeah, like Mario. Yeah, Mario Arizon. Yes. Yeah. 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 He's one of my mentors. He is not only is he self disciplined, but he's really competitive. I think everybody that I've trained that have you know I've, I've trained quite a few people that have got their incomes over a million dollars a year, and with to a person, they all are highly, highly competitive people. I can't think of one person who in my organization or people that I know within my business or even people that are friends of mine that are highly successful. The one thing they all have in common is they're very competitive people. And that competitiveness is what it does. It allows you when things aren't going well, you keep grinding, you keep pushing, you keep, you know, you keep persisting. And one other thing I know is a lot of, I don't know, not a hundred percent, but a high percentage of highly successful people within my organization are ex-athletes. Because when you're an athlete and you're competing, you don't win all the time. In fact, most of the time you don't win. And you learn that even though you don't win, you keep working on getting better. You keep competing. You keep you keep at it until you get there. And if a person's not competitive, they're not going to keep going. And, of course, when you keep going over time, you figure it out. You learn and you get better and you find out what works and what doesn't work. And and eventually you start having really fantastic success, but most people just aren't very competitive. True. I mean, the ones that don't do well. And I think that there's a, a whole bunch of reasons for that, but I think of, you know, success 
generally is more like the MMA than it is like boxing. I mean, you're you're not oh, going to be Floyd Mayweather. You're not going forty-one and zero. It's not going to happen. You're going to have a lot of losses, yeah. a lot of failures, a lot of defeats. Talking about Mario, you can share whatever you're comfortable with. He's not here, but we'll be able to tell him that we were talking about him, and that's got to feel pretty mm-hmm. good. Say so the the main yeah. subject we talked about, Mario, was you. What kind of childhood? Not born with a silver spoon in his mouth. Mm-hmm. True. Right. True. Yeah. Yeah. And, just like me, and probably so, just like you. I'm sure. Adversity. Yeah. Adversity is what helps you get that persistence in some ways. And I'm not sure that people expose themselves to enough adversity to get that feeling. Sports is adversity. I mean, you're in a contest and people are trying to beat you and you're trying to beat them. Mm -hmm. But the the kind of adversity that you had as a young person, and probably I'm guessing that he did, that sort of wires you for, you know what, we're going to be in a fight and it's okay. I'm comfortable here. I'm going to find a way and I'm going to persist and I'm going to get through this. Right. And, and also coming from that place, not wanting to ever go back there. Yeah. You know, I think for, for me, that was a big part. I, I think I might have said this. I'm the fifth of seven children. I grew up in a thousand square foot home, with nine people in it. And, and we didn't have any money. And I didn't come from a place where anybody in my family, extended family or whatever, was ever even went to college or was successful. So it was just I didn't want to live that way. And I found out that there's certain things if you get great at a thing then you have a chance to succeed. And so I think that's where Mario's at. That's where I'm at. That's where most of the people that I've coached over the years that, in fact, I don't think they're not one single person I've coached as one big that came from a silver spoon background, not, yeah. not a single one. I think it's, you know, and I've told my, my children this, I said, the adversity that you have in your life is not having enough adversity. I mean, that, yeah. that, well, that, well, that's the problem for your kids and my kids, you know, they, yeah. they haven't had the, level of adversity yeah. not the and same actually kind actually fortune to experience you know right? and uh, you know you look back you, you don't like it while it's happening but the fortune who we are today I, I'm dumber than you are because I didn't know I was poor until I was like 30 and then I went oh my gosh <laughs> I was poor <laughs> I mean real poor yeah. I didn't know that well I was I was happy I didn't know until I was in until I was in college I had two two of my best friends one one was a guy named Kenji Sano from Tokyo his dad owned I don't know 10 restaurants and nightclubs in Tokyo and the other one was from South Africa and they they basically ran the entire meat industry in, in Johannesburg, you know, from every part of it. They were very wealthy. And they they'd go to Acapulco or Aspen skiing on the breaks and, you know, do things. I'd go home and paint my parents' house, you know, that was my my spring break. You know, yeah. So. It does wire you a certain way. Yeah, sure, absolutely. I think those are really good attributes. If you're listening to this and you want to think about success, I mean, competitiveness and having that competitive spirit, which I think is super healthy and it's still for some reason right now considered, well, that person's competitive and that's adversarial and it's not, it's how we create greater value and it's how we grow and innovate. And I come out with something, I've got a better offering than you. And then you try to figure out how you're going to match that. And it's how things end up on an upward spiral is through, through that kind of competition. Think now. Competition is really great. I mean, you you think about everything that's from cell phones, the competition between the cell phone companies, Apple and Samsung and all that, they just make them better and better. If you think about Las Vegas, you know, where I, I, I live part of the year, the hotels are competing nonstop all the time for those customers. So what happens is the customer gets something better all the time because of that competition. So competition is really a good thing. It doesn't need to be adversarial. It has, you know, it's just a matter of trying to do better. And ultimately you're in a race and when you have good competition, everybody gets stronger. 
Iron sharpens iron, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. No question about it. Let's switch to leadership. What makes a good leader? What makes, in in your experience, and you've got a lot of experience building leaders, what makes them a good leader? Mm -hmm. And what is it about them that allows them to help people grow? Well, the first, the first thing I look at is the leaders, your personal example, and how do you conduct yourself, what your work ethic is like, what your self-discipline is like, what your resolve is like, what your competitiveness is like. So my thinking was always, I always wanted to be a great leader. I wanted to be the, the perfect, and in my business, the perfect recruit. In other words, I wanted to do, make sure I did all the things that I expected people under my wing or in my charge to do, I did them first and I did them as big a way as I could do them. I did, I could do them and I did it for a long period of time. And I think that's to get the respect from the people that are following you. You need to have walked in their shoes. You need to have done what they've done. You know, that's one of the things I've seen when like people that take over, especially on the corporate level that have never, I call it carried a briefcase, right? Been out in the field. Right. They're great people, they're smart people, they're sharp people, but they don't know that they don't know. Right. They can't teach what you don't know. They've never done it before. They have ideas, they look at the numbers and all, they think, well, we do this and that. But it's not the same thing as actually having done it yourself. It's like swimming. I mean, you're you're not going to learn how to swim reading a book or in a classroom. No. you got to no, be in the water. Right, or, ri- yeah, or riding a bike, same thing. You, you have to do it. And I noticed that people that do the best, they do it first. They've done it in a big way and then they're able to then number one inspire through their own actions and then they're able to teach what it is they've done assuming that they're introspective you know i i was always thinking i think this is what good leaders do great leaders do i was always thinking how can i communicate how i've done what i've done in the clearest fashion possible I ask myself that question many times a day. How can I relay this to them so that they can then take the information and, and duplicate what I've done? And that's that's really all I've ever done is focus on that. And by the more clarity in doing that, then you get a larger percentage of people doing it. And I think that's one of the things that's led to the success I've had personally is focusing on that. I like the lesson. One of my favorite stories about Patton was he told a bunch of his soldiers in World War II to cross a river at a particular spot. And he came back and they hadn't walked, they hadn't moved everything across the river because they were concerned that it was too deep. And uh, mm-hmm. he just gave them the biggest dressing down. And while he was yelling at them, he was showing him his pants legs. And he said, I walked across, you know, and he's showing them this is how deep the water is. I already walked across. You're you're going to be able to make it through. And a leader needs to have muddy boots. You need to have been somebody that's already been there. And they can look at you and say, right. this person knows what they're talking about. Why? Because they were there and they've done this right. and they've had success. I just think it's easier for them to follow you if they know that you have the experiences that they can model for success. Well, they and they don't respect you unless you've done it. And then and you, and you really need to have that. They need to have known that when you're talking about what you're talking about rel- relative to your business, that that you know what you're talking about because you've done it and you've had success as a result of what you've done. And so that's, I think that's critical. And I think a lot of people are trying to get there without doing it first. They think if I could just motivate these people, they'll do it, but that's not enough in my experience. There's a big tendency right now, and this is an interesting maybe tangent for you and I to run down. In my view of looking at a lot of people that are talking about entrepreneurship right now, 
and a lot of people talking about millennials and success and the success that you see coming out of Silicon Valley with a, a bunch of younger people who are doing things. There seems to be this race to be something without having to do something. And, yes. and it seems to me that the order, what I notice is that the order is backwards. First, you have to do right. something and then you can be something. And so I see things, and I'm going to be critical here without meaning to be as critical as I sound. I see things on people's LinkedIn profile that say, I'm a serial entrepreneur. And then they've got 63 projects, you know, and none of those Whoa. projects are recognizable. <laughs> so it's like you're, you're, you start things that you don't finish or an entrepreneur they take the risk, but they build a business. I mean, you you build right. something so that there's something there afterwards. It's not the ideas that are interesting. It's the execution. And I think that sure. there's this, I need to be someone. So I have to have this business card and I have to tell people I'm an entrepreneur and do these things. But I don't have to do anything, which means I don't have to go work in the trenches. How many years were you in the field? Well, I was, you know, I, was, I started out in the retail jewelry business in 1979, and I was in the basically the field scene clients face to face from 1979 to 1992. It's so, a good run. Yeah, it's a good run, and I should have done it longer. I, I think I look back on my career. One of the mistakes that I think I made is I, I got out of the field. You know, I've done well, but I, I, I think if I had stayed in longer and just focused on developing more people. I mean, even though I've done well, I think I could have done two or three times better than I've done. <laughs> but I think that was a mistake, a mistake on my part, but I'm, I'm, but you don't need to feel sorry for me. I've done okay. <laughs> I promise you I don't, and I'm not going to yeah. explain why, but I'll just leave it at that, that I know I don't, I, I have um, 0.0% sympathy right now, Hector, but <laughs> so speak to this because you now have a regret, right? Yeah. I was okay. And I, you did better than most, better than almost yeah. everyone in, in your in your space. But you still had right. you still had a lot of runway in front of you. Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. I mean, I somebody talked me into told me that uh, you can't sell the dream if you if you're out in the field. That's the biggest crock of BS ever. I wish I never would have listened to that person, I, and unfortunately, I did. I mean, I'm coaching like Mario not to do that to stay at it longer. I mean, that's most people don't listen, but. A few, a few do. <laughs> I don't, I'm not made up of that. I can't yeah. wait to retire. I, I would have no idea. Well, yeah. All I think about I is never I need to just keep working. I, I want to do more work, yeah. not less work. Yeah. I, I'm not going to retire either ever, but I do do, I only do what I like to do today though. That, that's one of the pleasures of working is doing what you like to do and what I enjoy doing. What would you say to a new leader to say if, if you had to give them something to take away to say, this is what you need to be right now to become a good leader, what advice would you give somebody who's young and just getting into a leadership role? Well, I think you need to study leadership too. I, I, I can't tell you how many different books or seminars that I've attended and books that I've read relative to leadership. I think people, leaders are made, they aren't born. I mean, there's some people that are probably more confident that kind of easier for them maybe but i think you can learn how to do that you can learn how to be a leader and you can study it there's no shortage of material on leadership that's for doug i'm sure i have a good friend john maxwell i'm sure you're feeling sure. john we've done some things together he's prolific at writing he's got great material relative to leadership and he's not the only one there's others but i think i think i'd really study it i think you need to study it not and study people that you admire that are leaders and if you can, you interview them like during an interview. What, what did you focus on? What did you do? 
what do you think you had the success you had and, and, and find out what, what do people do and then model and mimic that behavior. I mean, that's really all I've ever done is study, model, mimic the behavior. And that's what's led to the success that I've had. And I know that you sure you've done the same thing. There's not a faster way. The the fastest way, and I've written this countless times, figure out what other people believe. Because when you're looking at their actions, you won't take their actions unless you understand what they believe and the why for what they're doing. But study what they believe and then study their actions and you'll start to see the recipe because it's not a great mystery. It's not a great secret. There aren't any. But when you look, you look under the hood, you see it and you go, yep. And then you get there so much faster because you're not trying to figure out something that hasn't already been figured out countless times. Yeah, and you avoid the mistakes that you probably would make with with a low level of awareness. It's all everything about being successful is raising your awareness level relative to whatever it is you're doing. You know that that's the difference. Is that, you know, I played golf with one of my guys that I I kind of I work with a couple guys on the mental side of the golf. They're a golf young golf professional, and I was telling him I said you know the the difference between you and me I'm a I'm a like a five handicap right now, and he's obviously like a plus four or five or whatever. That means he's really good. So I said, the difference is that your awareness level relative to golf is just much higher than mine. I mean, I didn't start playing until I was 35. He started when he was like four, you know, <laughs> so he's been doing it for a lot of years and he has a very high level of awareness relative to golf where I have a, I have an okay awareness, but nothing close to that. So there's no way that I can perform at the same level with the level of awareness I have compared to his. And that's true in every discipline. It doesn't matter what it is. You're a professional sales trainer. You have a very high level of awareness relative to selling and prospecting and all everything related to that. And you didn't just, how long have you been, have you been working on this? I mean, 30 years. How many years? Okay. That's it, right? Just 30 years. Yeah. So I've, I've been at it since 1979. So a lot of years. You, I've been writing the blog for seven years. And I think in about four well, more go. years, I'm going to be an overnight success. I think you're right. I think. And then everybody goes, oh, my Anthony, he's so lucky. <laughs> yeah. I mean, nobody says all, nobody sees all the part. And I know because I do some writing too, nothing like you do. But I mean, it's a lot of, you have a lot of discipline to write as prolifically as you do. I mean, it's, it's, it's work. It's, I, it's discipline. I'm standing at my desk right now where I started writing today at 4.15. So, you know, it's, uh, there you go. that's the difference. And at 4.15, yeah. no one on earth wants my time. It's uh, it's a hundred percent mine. It's like the like I get this question all the time, Doctor. What's the one book I could read that I, that would help me be successful? <laughs> and I'm just, you just I have to laugh. It's like if you find out, let me know because I'd love to know that. Well, I named no, mine no the one. only Maybe. sales guide you'll ever need. Actually, I didn't. I didn't get to name it that. the The publishers got to name it that, and now I have the second yeah. book coming out. So I've got to write an apology at the beginning saying. This is the only other sales guide you're ever going to need. The the amount of reading that you do reminds you of how little Mm -hmm. you know and and just how much more ground there is to cover. I've always been, I was, I've always been a voracious student. Some time I was a little kid, I used to hang out at the library and it always, every time I go into a bookstore, there's not many of them anymore, but if I go into a library or, or just go online, just, you just got to go, man, I don't know anything. Yeah, uh, relative to what I could know. I mean, it's just nothing. Not knowing how to read and not reading is the same as not knowing how to read. That's right. You're illiterate. Essentially, so, you're doing the same thing as being illiterate. Yeah, it, it, you're absolutely the same. So it's, it's not smart. <laughs> no, not smart at all. 
Thank you so much for being here. I always appreciate having you on and I appreciate chatting with you. We end up tweeting to each other a lot. Yeah. The last time I think I was chatting with you, we were talking about Alice Cooper because I got to go backstage and see him. And you had dinner with him. I had dinner with him one time. Yeah. yeah I did. Was him that, and Yogi was Berra. That? That's quite a dinner table right it, there. Yeah, that was right. Very <laughs> nice people, both of them. Yogi's gone now, but yeah, they're both great. Both really, really nice. Shocking what a great person Alice Cooper is. Yeah, very I mean, nice. His wife, too. His wife was really a pleasure. They're just really down to earth. I wrote that people. I wrote that blog post and his assistant gave it to Cheryl, his wife, and uh, she put it on their mm-hmm. site and read it out loud to him because he hadn't read it. So they both oh, enjoyed it. But the, the watching him deal with people and treat every human being that he encountered over the 35 minutes that I was with him mm-hmm. was amazing. The fact that he would give somebody who had nothing to offer him, just a fan, a random fan who paid to go Mm -hmm. backstage, his undivided attention and focus like they were the most important person on earth. I have my, at the time, 17-year-old son with me, and I said, Mm -hmm. you're getting a lesson in mastery right here. You're getting to see, if you want to see how you should treat people, he's a theater kid, so he's an actor. I said, if you want to see how you treat people who come up to you after the show to say something, you just learned everything you need to know. You just saw it in, right. in the best way I could ever show it to you. I did not expect and it's that. it's interesting at that dinner, it was, it was uh, I used to play in the, the Bob Hope Pro-Am. That's what I was, they, the, both those guys played in that every year. So that's, that's the reason I was having dinner with them. And while we were sitting there, Arnold Palmer came up behind me and he, he didn't know me from Adam, right? And he puts his hands on my shoulders and rubs my shoulders and says, are you having a great time? Are you enjoying yourself? <laughs> And it was like, oh, my God, the king, you know, Arnold's coming up and doing this. It's like, But you could see why he so he has was so successful, too. Yeah. I mean, he was hugely successful because of the way he treated people. And, you know, they have, there's a saying, right? People rarely remember what you say, but they always remember the way that you make them feel. And that was both of those people. That was perfectly clear why they're so successful. In their, it's, it's, they were so successful in their business. It's caring about other people, right? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. I mean, then, what else and, is there? And that's all, all there connected. is. That's the secret. Mm-hmm. If you want the secret, care about other people and yeah, things get a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Where no do we doubt. point people to find out more about you? You can follow me on Twitter at Hector Lamarck. And then you can also have a website at HectorLamarck.com. I've got a recommended reading list and tons and tons of audios of me speaking and teaching and that sort of thing. So both those places are good places to start. We'll put both of those in the show notes. And thanks so much for coming on again. You're very welcome. It was great talking to you. I look forward to seeing you hopefully later in the quarter. That sounds good. That was Hector Lamarck of Primerica. You can find him at HectorLamarck.com. You should also follow him at Twitter and his handle is Hector Lamarck there as well. We'll put these in the show notes so you have an easy time finding him and listen to the man because he's got the hustle down. I am Anthony Anarino, your host here at In the Arena, and you can find me at thesalesblog.com where I write and publish daily. When you go there, do sign up for the newsletter. It will show up in your inbox every Sunday morning, and it is my favorite piece of content, and it's the best piece of content that I produce each and every week. Also join me at youtube.com, where you can find me publishing a daily video. That's youtube.com forward slash Anarino, and there's a daily video there, and I think you're going to love that. Do subscribe when you get there. 
That's all we've got for you this week. I'm Anthony Anarino, and I will see you next time in the arena. Audio editing and show notes by podcastfasttrack.com. Get 15% off your first month by mentioning this show.